0: If you can tell by that likeness that was me in that i don 't know if you could tell all that uh, my name is mingo i 'm one of the pastors here, and i 'm excited to be here with you. I cannot believe i 'm back here again it 's like what thank you, Jesus. Um, I get to live and I love and I breathe the ministry of microsites. So this is always like such a great return. I feel like I can come back to my parents' house whenever I get to be in this place. And if you have parents like my parents, like going back to your parents' house, is good that you're getting fed, right? Your mom is taking care of you, right? It's like, it's better than anything. And to be here with you guys this morning is no different. To be here with everybody who's streaming online is no different. And this is... This is a great Sunday, and I'll tell you why. Because we get to have church isolated today, right? All the campuses are talking about uh, whatever it is that they're talking about in their own camps, right? But today we get to talk about church as a church, right? And we are one church, but we're responsible for this body collectively together, right? Anybody who streams with us, all the microsites collectively in this room, we have a responsibility to... To seek out and to hear and to be the church on fire for Jesus, right? And it's, it's good to be together. It's good to gather. It's good to be, to be reminded about the commission that lives inside of each of us. And so I'm excited that we would get an opportunity to pray together, that we would get an opportunity to be ministered together. I want to pray for us and then I want to get into scripture. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that your uh, your word is alive and it is well and it is in us, Lord. Thank you that it corrects us, Lord, that it reminds us of your true character. Pray that you would speak to us in a new, fresh, authentic way this morning. In your name, I pray. Amen. I'm going to confess to you. You ready for confession? I'm starting this sermon off with a confession. Are you ready? I was not happy. I was not happy when I was told that I was going to preach because I was told that I had to preach on a specific verse. And I hate that when somebody gives me homework like that. Do you you know this feeling when someone's like, hey, I would really appreciate it if you did the work and went this direction. You're like, if you would like me to go, would you like to go that direction, right? That's me. It's like my rebel heart immediately out there for the like, just for the exposure. And when when I was asked if I, would, if I would get to share this morning a week ago, I I sat and I was like literally confessing to God, why is my heart so rotten? I have a rotten heart. When I get told something to do, I don't know why the initial flex in me is to want to go the opposite direction, right? Ask me anything and I'd be probably willing to do it. But tell me, and I'm like, oh, heck no. No, thank you, right? Oh, Somebody is somebody's like amening me in the back. You're stubborn and you need to ask for forgiveness, okay? Um, so here's the scripture this morning that I was given, and I love it. I, I did not love it this morning or this week, but then I was like, oh, it's in the Bible, so I have to love it. Okay, so, but now I love it. I'm like, oh, you've got to hear this. So uh, it's in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1, it says this, and he told them a parable, this is Jesus, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart, right? I'm, the the answers are given away at the top end of this parable. The hope is that you're going to understand how you ought to pray. We ought to pray. Pray, right? That, right? We got to pray uh, and that we should not lose heart, okay? That's the goal and what Jesus is going to put out right here, that that you would in the effect know how you ought to pray and do not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Parable super simple. Judge. Wicked guy. I love, uh, in another translation, uh, it says that he never gave God a thought or at the same time he cared nothing for people. That's the, that's the description of the judge. And you've got a widow and I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word widow, but for me I always for some reason think of like the old, Crusty lady in Snow White, and she got like a thing over her head, and she got like the red apple. That's my like. I don't know why I think that's a widow, but that's a widow to me. So you can't hate that old lady, and yet this judge is super wicked, and she's coming because of unjust injustice, and he doesn't want to waste his time with her, but because she's nagging. The Bible is basically saying this woman had no problem nagging this unjust judge. That eventually, because of self-preservation, he says, you know what? I can't handle this old lady coming to my door every day. Just give her what she wants. And Jesus says, very clearly, unlike this judge, how much more does my father want to deliver justice to those who cry out to him? Right? To those who are his children, how much more does the father want to give to them justice that they deserve? And even more so that it wouldn't be a long time that you'd have to wait, but it would come swiftly. Man, I'll tell you what, the first the first trip I got on this verse when I was reading it, and I probably have thought this my whole life, even though Jesus says blatantly that this is not who my Father is, my natural inclination is that this is my thought of the Father. My, my natural inclination is this is exactly who God the Father is. He's some big, out-of-touch, uninterested in my everyday granular life and problems, deity, giant God. And because he's so big and righteous and his wrath, like my dad's belt when I was a kid, is swift and sharp, right? A Mexican kid, right? So the belt was like hallowed, right? It glued and it had spikes and you did not want to see it, you know, like you. That's the image that I had when I read this, it's so easy to go, oh, Jesus is painting a picture that we're like this frail old widow and that God is this uncaring, cares nothing about people judge and you're lucky that you have Jesus. And you're lucky that you have Jesus. And it's so false. See, we play this, this mind game, I think sometimes where in, in our brains, we set up God, the Father as that untouchable, ready to spank you with his belt dad, right? And then we get Jesus, who's like the cool older brother who lets you know all the things that won't get you in trouble, right? And you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I totally would, like, I was due for some judgment, some punishment. And we play this good cop, bad cop, savior thing between God the Father and Jesus. You follow me? Jesus Good and holy and full of grace and he's got like acoustic jams all day long, right? That's, that's Jesus and we love Jesus, right? We love him. We love the forgiveness that we get into him. We love the flannel graph version of him that we see. He's nice. He's smiling. He's got that cool like smooth beard, right? But then the father is always in the dark crazy clouds up top, right? He's just like, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? It's so false it's so 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 false it's actually it's a lie that was introduced in the first man and woman see we got that we got that lie by way of satan in the garden right god created adam and eve he he walked with them and he he ministered to them. They were in conversations. He provided all things for them. And he gave them boundaries. Right? And any person who thinks that boundaries is not a translation of I love you, you just need to have a kid. And you'll realize really quickly that the boundaries put around your kid are a great way that you show them love. Right? I have a three-year-old turning four-year-old. And man, those boundaries are because I love that sucker. Right? Right? No, you cannot drive in the car without having your seatbelt on, right? He's like, no, I'd rather stand up in my car seat. You're like, you're an idiot, right? No, sit down, right? Sometimes I'll like unbuckle him in the driveway, in the driveway going like we just got back to the house. And I'll unbuckle him and I'll go, do you really want to sit? I'm telling you, you'd rather be sitting down buckled in. He's like, no, it's more fun to surf, dad. So then I roll forward a foot and I just hit the brick. boundaries because I love them, right? He's like, I'm surfing, cadet, right in the front seat, right? (laughs) Oh, it's so much better. Ow, dad, right? And I'm like, I love you. Sit down. (laughs) Don't tell my wife I do that. I'll get in so much trouble. (laughs) But Satan fed Adam and Eve the best lie ever. He said, man, you can't eat that. God doesn't want you to be happy. That sucks for you. Because I know what happens if you eat that, man. It's like everything. And I actually wonder, if he's telling you you can't do something, man, does he even really love you? I mean, does the Father even really love you? And that that lie was bought full outright. Eve takes it and she she eats the fruit and Adam eats the fruit and forever there is a lie that has been purchased and held onto and consumed and passed on generation after generation after generation that, you know what? I don't know if God really loves me. I don't know if for certain I can say that he really does love me. And forever we walk in this clouded life rocked by circumstances, trying to convince ourselves that God really does love us. And there's something really interesting about what Jesus is putting out about the identity of his Father. See, the the easiest and I think the greatest mistake that we can buy into is that even though clearly his Father is is marked out as just and loving and wants to be the redeemer for those who are in affliction. That we think that he doesn't love us and so that he sets us up for certain one-way conversations and one-way experiences where if we begged long enough, we might get his attention. It's the worst lie. It's so polar from the truth, I think that it's actually shaping, falsely shaping our current identity as a generation. And it gets worse, right? From Adam and Eve, it starts off with the serpent, and he says, man, I don't think God really loves you. Otherwise, he'd be giving you all these things that you want. He'd let you run free, right? You could surf in your car seat, and you wouldn't have a problem. Fast forward generations later, you've got an entire people group, Israel, God's chosen people who are laid up in bondage. They're slaves to Egypt. And Jesus, God makes an opportunity for them to be saved through Moses. You remember this? Right? He says, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna deliver you. I'm going to deliver you from bondage. And so he exits them from slavery, an entire generation of people, and as they're walking to God's promised land for them, they begin to grumble in the process And they say, you know what, I don't think God's in it for us. They're they're immediately exited from slavery and bondage, and because the payoff of the promised land isn't immediately had, their initial thought goes, you know what, God probably, he's not a big fan of ours. Actually, so much, in fact, we actually think God hates us for this process. In Deuteronomy 1, it says, they believed that God hated them. Tell me how big Satan's grin was when he figured out how to get all of God's people in one failed motion to believe that their Savior was actually somebody who hated them. You don't think that exists here? You don't think that exists in in our generation? Those of us that are sitting here right now, that we may have bought a lie that our circumstances by way of our feelings and the way that we do or don't perceive what God is doing, might actually be translated as God's, God's lack of love for us. God's, maybe in the worst case scenario, his hate for us. You know, in Deuteronomy it says that God heard that word and he, he declared it evil. He said, the thought of you not... L- of you not receiving and understanding my total love for you is evil. You got to know that my love is genuine. It's not a good cop bad cop deal. Do you know that Jesus and everything that you love about him is all rooted in the Father? Did you know that? You know there's some incredible scripture John 5:19. It says the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the son does also. Realign yourself with that truth. Whatever you love in Jesus, whatever you take full in Jesus, it's because the Father displayed it first. Right? Colossians 1.15 says, The Son, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. He's not some careless, detached father waiting for you to screw up. He's loving and caring. He is the definition of hope. That's why being a part of a church is such a huge revelation because we have hope stored up in the Father. It belongs to us. It's not what we hope in. It's that we have hope itself. And we sit lethargic with that kind of promise because we've bought in a lie that the enemy's put out there. he says, you know what? You should question on the daily whether or not God actually loves you. Because I'd rather tie you up in that fallacy than have you actively living a life of hope and, and grace and reason and, and impact to the people around you who are actually asleep, dying dead in the darkness. you realize that? Do you see that? He'd rather you fumble around and wonder if God is really even for you than to realize innately in Christ and his father, I am totally loved. And in that total love, my identity is solid. You realize that every child, their identity is stemmed from the impact of their father, right? Right? It's it's a plague that we experience so heavily in our country. The lack of a father is the lack of an identity in the family he belongs to, right? My son, Bravery, he is a a reflection of me. Dad likes to jump off of high things into water. Bravery wants to jump off of high things into water, right? Right? Dad likes to surf on the skateboard going down the hill faster than mom would like. Bravery wants to surf on the skateboard going downhill faster than mom would like. He is a reflection of me. Who are you a reflection of? How do you live your life? What does it reflect? Because if you have daddy issues given to you by Satan... If you have daddy issues given to you by Satan, you are convoluted. You are lost. You have no direction because you have no identity. You realize that if your identity is stocked up, solid, in Christ because of the Father, you walk, you cannot be touched in this world. Who cares what the circumstances are? Right? And the problem is that we take our circumstances and we make, we make some case that our circumstances actually are some translatable way of understanding whether or not God's happy with you or not. Think about that statement. You look at your circumstances and you go, okay, with where I'm at in my life right now, man, God is not really happy with me. False. Circumstances are circumstances. That's it. They're an opportunity between God's promise for you in your life that you would have life abundantly and the payout to be with him in eternity. Everything in the middle is the process. You realize that, right? And in the process, you have really one opportunity that Christ wants you to succeed in. He wants you to have unfailing faith. Not just in him, but in his father. Faith that says, I believe despite my circumstances, you're good, you love me. I'm purposed for something great. Let's get to work. Man, I'm a part of a generation that reads my circumstances like a horoscope. And we go, you know what? Man, I got a terrible month coming ahead of me. You know what? This week, I love it. I, I saw a video online about just the hate for people who hate Mondays. Shut up, right? Monday is the first day to kick it off. Let's do this. Let's be a generation that says, God purposed me for something great and he loves me unwavingly. Where is he sending me? That's what I love about being rooted in Christ. Your identity is shored up. You're not having to figure out who you are. You're loved completely. Go get after it. All in. And Jesus, his statement is so, so basic. He says, listen, I want you to know how to pray unceasingly, I want you to know how to take heart. I hope you're getting heart in this realization. So you ask the question, what am I praying for? What? How should I or what should it be that we're praying for? I wrote down three basic ones. Right? That we would know God, our Father, relationally. Right? Not just theoretically. That we would have a sense of our identity in Him relationally. Right? That we would pray for For spiritual wisdom and revelation. I love this one. Ephesians 1, chapter 17, verse 19. If you're writing down in your notes, Ephesians 1, chapter 17, verse 19. Listen to how Paul unpacks this statement. It's so thick. You have to be ready. Tune your ears to this, okay? Listen. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory... I love that he's nailing it. He's the Father, right? He is the originator of all of this. He's the source of all of this. The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what it is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his mighty power? What is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of their calling? Paul's not praying that you would know what it is that you're hoping for, but that you would just know hope alone. Right? And what is hope? Hope is an eager expectation that something good is going to happen. You realize that. That's what you have stored up in the Father. The expectation that something good is going to come of this. Something good is going to happen. That's what we've got in in Paul's prayers, that we would know hope. Not hope that something would happen. It's such a disgusting secondary after effect. Forget what you're hoping for and just rest in understanding that you've got hope. In the Father, you have something great to look forward to. The hope of their calling is incredible. It's like the best parallel. If you know a family like mine, you know that when you're invited to my home, you will never go home hungry, you will always go home tired, and you will go home with a stomach ache because you laugh so much in the presence of my family. Not me, my dad. My mom and my dad together, right? Classic Mexican family. Everyone's like, Yo, Mio, you look skinny. You should probably eat some more, right? And I'm like, Dad, seriously, no, but really. And he's like, Oh, you had five tamales? Two more. Come on, Mio, two more. <laughs> Come on, you got room here, Mio. You got room. Right? They just make a moment out of everything. That's my family. And The calling that you get is that you're invited into God's family. It's not just salvation for the taking. It's not just eternity, right? Check, okay, I get to live forever. It's that you're a part of God's family, adopted, brought in. They make a son out of you even though you're not born in their crew, right? You celebrate Christmas with them and you celebrate the resurrection of the son with them. You're a part of the quinceaneras. You make it happen, right? Right? I have so many white kids in my family because they've been adopted by my dad who just loves to take care of kids whose dads are absent. You ask any random white kid who spent any time with us in junior high and high school and they're like, that's my family. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the Palacios family. That's Mr. P. That's my dad. And my dad has saved kids left and right when they run out of gas. He's the one that shows up with a gas can when they're... Battery doesn't work. My dad shows them how to yank it out and pull the battery out of somebody else's car and put it in their own. (laughs) Right? My dad shows them that you should never go buy something brand new off the shelf. That you always go to the swap meet first to see if somebody's selling a stolen version of it. Right? (laughs) When you're a part of my family, it's good. See, when you're a part of God's family, it is so good. And man, we bought this crazy lie that that we want eternity because of Jesus, but we're like deathly afraid of spending forever with the Father. I'm, I'm honest. I'll be so honest with you. I have wrestled with that fear for a long time. That I love that I don't have to go to hell because of the price Jesus paid, but I'm very uncertain about spending eternity with the Father. Man, I'm just reminding, just being reminded over and over and over again. As I continue to live purpose, rooted in my identity, that the Father and the Son are one, and that their hearts are unified, and that there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ, right? But for those that are outside of Christ, you have no family. You have no identity. You have no dad to teach you what it looks like to look past your circumstances and say, I have got victory in the promise of a father. It's a, it's a, a topic worth wrestling with this morning. Do you have in you an identity shored up in your father? your heavenly Father? Or are you being tossed day after day, week by week, month after month, by your circumstances trying to decide whether or not God still loves you? Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. And here's, here's the, the the tale of this, which is so good. To not lose heart, Jesus says, That you guys would know to pray, right? And I told you, pray that you would know God relationally. Pray that you would have a spiritual wisdom and revelation per Ephesians 1.17 through 19. That you would know God for who he is and what he's got stored up in him. Right? Pray for for Luke chapter 22 verse 32, right? Jesus is telling Simon, he says, listen, the, the enemy came to sift you. The enemy came to shake you up. That's what that word means, sifting is. We're going to put wheat down and we're going to sift it and the the stuff is going to fall through and what we don't want is going to remain at the surface, right? The enemy has promised to shake you. But Jesus says, my prayer for you, Simon, is that your faith would not fail that your faith would not fail. I'm praying that in your circumstances where you've understood God's promise for you and you're you're in the process, no matter how far or long that is, for the Israelites, that's 40 years worth of process. For you, it might be 40 days. It might be 40 hours, right? Labor. I have a friend that just went through labor. 40 hours. That's the process. But the payout, new life a new life, a gift from God to you. Don't let your circumstances in the middle dictate whether or not you think God loves you or not. He is viciously in love with you. He created you. Did you know that by being his creation, that you are his greatest treasure because you're made in his image outside of his son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are unified constantly after one another. And the second greatest thing that they have an opportunity to retrieve back to them, to reconcile back to them, are you and I. His his creation made in his own image. And I was talking to my team about this and I loved it so much. It's as if There is treasure. We are God's treasure strewn about the earth. And when when sin that buries us gets removed, we are reconciled back to the Father. He gets his greatest treasure back. That which always belonged to him. Can you imagine? Yeah, Draw this image in your head that there is treasure scattered everywhere in the form of God's creation humanity and when we're reconciled back to the father we're put on mission to go find buried treasure and bring it back to the father does that make sense to rightly give back what was his we're like pirates we are like hook and pirates out looking for the thing that rightly belongs to our father That should be our mission. That should be our ultimatum. That should be the thing that we, that should be the hill we die on. To go and find those buried in sin and dig up the treasure that belongs to our Father. To say, Lord, here's another one. And here's a whole pack of them. Here's a chest, an entire community of people who don't know you yet. Lord, there's your treasure. Show me the next round. Show me where the next one is. That should be our posture. You know what we're doing? Instead, we're wrestling with whether or not our Father loves us. Man, we miss it. We are paralyzed in uncertainty because we've lost our identity in our Father. Find your identity and find your purpose. Find your identity and you will know what it is that you were purposed for. I love the final part of this as we wrap this morning up. The statement is, you can't even, yeah, like I can't, I could never speak it alone. It says, know the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. You know that word, exceeding greatness? It is throwing beyond any measure. That's what it means. Exceeding greatness is beyond measurement. Where numbers fail, God's greatness and his power supersedes, Right? Use a measuring tape, it gets to the end of it, God's power goes past it, right? Take all the known numerics that we've got as, as a measurement, count as high as you can, and God's power supersedes it. For what? That the greatness, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his mighty power, He is in us with the power that he resurrected Christ after those who are yet to understand that he loves them. And this morning, it might be a shaking of shaking for you that through the power, the exceeding power that he has running through me this morning, that you realize that you are his treasure. You're his, you are his wealth. And he doesn't need it, but he wants it because he created it. Does that make sense? You're not making God any richer by saying, okay, God, I'm on your team. He made you, and he wants you. I made my son. I want him every single day. For us this morning, to understand that the Father loves you relentlessly, that that we bought a lie, the same lie that Adam and Eve bought, that God doesn't love us, is the greatest tragedy we can we can walk into Monday with. Right? It's easy to fall under a, a banner that says, yeah, our generation is doomed, we're a country walking away from God. But you know what, you get a choice on Monday whether or not you walk in your identity or not that your circumstances decipher how you think God thinks about you. And for some of us, we need to stop for one minute and stand up and say, God, forgive me for thinking that you don't love me as much as you do. That maybe you've never seen yourself as a part of God's team in his family going after the things that the Father loves. I know the things that my my earthly dad loves. And you know what one of the greatest joys is for me? To go get him those things. Not because I'm obligated to, because I love him dearly. My dad loves a cup of almejas in the morning. You know what almejas are? They're like the nastiest raw seafood cocktail you could ever want. I'm like, Dad, do you want Starbucks or like a seafood cocktail with like tapatio and like clams and squid little tentacles in it? My dad's like, I'll take the tentacles right? That's OG Mexican dad status right there, right? I know that and I, I love that about my dad and when I'm with my dad and we're in Mexico, I like love taking him and treating him to the thing that he loves. How many of us in this room have not even thought and there's a, there's a bounty out there that my father, my heavenly father loves and it's his creation. And I'm actually a part of the process that can reconcile that lost treasure back to him. Let's be a family purposed for that destination. Let's not think that the entirety of our satisfaction in our father is shored up in us sitting in these seats. He didn't say, I pray and I sacrifice my son so that you would be a great church attendee. He said that you would go and make disciples of all nations. And you know where that starts? It starts right here. But not in that seat. It's out there on Monday. So here's what I want to pray. I want to pray that if you need to realign yourself back to Jesus, that this would be your moment. I want to pray that if you've, you've found yourself questioning God's love for you, that this would be a, a, an opportunity to ask forgiveness And I want to pray that if you want to stand and purpose yourself for something greater on Monday, that you would stand with me because I'm right there. I'm with you. I don't want to buy the lie anymore. I don't want to represent a generation that's just adopted the lie. Let's pray together. Jesus, as simple as it is, Lord, I know that we have missed the mark. Lord, I know with great confidence that I am not the only person standing in this room who has thought, God, you don't care, you're disconnected, you don't even see what's happening most of the time. Lord, I know that's false. God, I know that you care deeply to the point of negotiating in a ransom your son as a sacrifice, that I might have a relationship with you. And Lord, I can't help but think that the promises laid up in the scripture are for those who believe, that purpose is, is there for the taking, for those who believe. And Lord, this morning there are people who do not believe that you are who you say you are. Lord, there are people here this morning who do not have an active, vibrant, literal relationship with you. They just know theory about you. Lord, in this moment, as we ask for forgiveness, Lord, I pray that you would stir those hearts. If you are in this room and you need to give your life to Jesus, to surrender the wrong thoughts, to ask forgiveness for for believing that God does not love you in any degree of the statement, would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, forgive me. For falsely knowing who your father is. Forgive me, Lord. God, I want to live a life rooted in you. I want to have an identity that reflects your identity. Lord, I want to live a life that has purpose and fulfillment. I want to be about your mission. I want to be about your revolution. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me for my sins. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, here's what I'm gonna do. Typically, we'd have you stand up and we'd have you come to the altar. And I would rather you come and get prayed over by our pastors here, our PST family here. We wanna know your story. We wanna know how you can be prayed for specifically. And if you prayed that prayer that Jesus would forgive you, I want you to come down here and I want you to share that story with one of these people, all right? Service is not over. Micah is going to come and encourage us. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to come down here and get prayed for. I love you guys so much. Thank you for sharing this Sunday with us.